Lord, it's just great to get up and hear a testimony of what you have done and for you to give glory. Lord, no other foundation can be laid other than the foundation of Jesus Christ. You are everything. We thank you and praise you and just pray that you would teach and you would listen. Lord, just right here right now, as we end up summer, schools are starting for a lot of places, final vacations, lots of things going on. Just be with those that could be here this morning. Bless and take care. We lift this up in your name. Chapters and verses were added many, many, many years after the Bible was obviously first written the prophets and apostles. They did not have the chapter and verses breaks in them. So what happens is every now and then you run into a situation like this. If you would just read Matthew 16, it ends very strangely. If you would just read Matthew 17, it begins very strangely. We have to put the context of Matthew 16 and 17 together. We're talking about something this morning called the Transfiguration. Now, the transfiguration is a brief moment where the Lord allowed us to see his glory while on this earth. Because as he walked this earth as a man, he did not walk in the glory of the Lord. He reserved that. But for this brief moment during the transfiguration, he revealed to us the full glory of who he was as God for this brief moment. Now, why did he do it at this time, and why did he do it at this setting? Well, if you remember what we talked about last week in verses 24 and 25, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. We talk about denying ourselves and dying to ourselves. Not denying ourselves something. Like I'm denying myself that extra bowl of ice cream. I'm going to deny myself that television program that's not appropriate. I'm denying me. I am the problem. Lord, I want to deny me. I need to die with who I am and live for Christ and all I do and say. So this is a very serious teaching. This is a very sober teaching. We have to lose our life. Then verse 26, what profit is it a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said, you've got to let it all go and just focus on me. But he says this, verse 27, the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he will reward each according to his works. Remember that word glory. Then he says in verse 28, surely I say to you, there are some standing here who shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. If you just end the chapter there, that sounds really strange. But what happens is this transfiguration is really Jesus saying, I want to give you a glimpse into the glory of who I am. So as you are denying yourself and you're dying yourself to yourself on this earth, and you're thinking, why am I doing this? What good comes out of this? Jesus said, I'm just going to give you a tiny little sample of what the future holds. And you're going to see it to know that this is worthwhile. This is worthwhile that you know why you're doing Dare to say it's almost a free sample. I remember when Don and I used to go down to Atlanta all the time. We used to go to this place called Five Points. If you've ever been down to Atlanta, it's where all the Martyrs come together, the subways come together, they got this shopping mall. They have this amazing food court. And if you walk through the food court right at lunchtime, they have people literally standing on the counters yelling at you, offering you a free sample of food. So what you just do is you go at lunch, you just take your time, you just try a sample at every single one, wait 15, 20 minutes, and go back through again. Free samples. you got to love it. Jesus is saying right here in Matthew 17, I'm giving you guys just a glimpse. A glimpse of the glory that is coming. You get to see it. So with that background of what that means, the transfiguration, a sample of the reward and glory that we will see, now we get into this. And Peter confirms this. You don't need to turn there, but in 2 Peter, he basically says, guys, listen. This is out of 2 Peter 1. He says, but we do not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. 
For he received from God the Father honor and glory, there's our word again, glory, when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory, again, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice which came from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter, writing years after this event, said, guys, we got to see a glimpse of the glory that's coming. This is the free sample, verse 1, Matthew 17. Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. And behold, Moses and Elijah appeared to them, talking with them. Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now while he was still speaking, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and suddenly a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and do not be afraid. And they lifted up their eyes. They saw no one but Jesus only. Now as they came down from the mountain, Jesus commanded them, saying, Tell the vision to no one until the Son of Man is risen from the dead. What a fascinating story. Fascinating story. And as you read that, you have to stop and say, Lord, what do you want us to get out of this? And I love these types of teachings. We do these every now and then. But there's just so many little points, if you will. It's almost like a little buffet message. Let's just talk about all these little details as we go through this. We've already explained what the transfiguration was. It's a sample of seeing the glory of God. Peter confirmed that in 2 Peter 1. It shows us there is a reason why we deny ourselves. There is a reason why we die for ourselves. We see the glory that is coming. And that is what we live for. Remember, we say this all the time out here. This is not your home. You are an eternal being that is just here for a little bit. Your focus is eternity. And the closer we get to the end, either the return of Christ or the end of our lives on this earth, we need to go out with this focus that it's all about Jesus and all we do and all we say. It's not about us. It's not about making ourselves comfortable. It's not about getting to the finish line of life and just scrolling in. No, run the race well. Run the race well. And we see the same idea. Because look what happened right here. Takes Peter, James, and John up. Behold, Moses and Elijah appeared. Then in verse 3, they're talking together. Wouldn't you love to know what that conversation was about? Moses, Elijah, and Jesus having this conversation. Here's the beautiful thing about it. We know what it's about. Because in Luke chapter 9, when Luke gives his account of the transfiguration, he tells us what they were talking about. If you've ever wondered, why does the Lord have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? Four accounts of the same story. Because each gospel account maybe gives a little bit different idea or a little bit different direction or a little more information. Luke tells us they were talking about his upcoming death. So here's Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. What are they talking about? His death on the cross. Because it's all about the cross. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it has nothing to do with me. It's not about my time. It's not about free time. It's not about what necessarily I want. It's about representing Jesus Christ and all that we do and all that we say. And when I get up in the morning, I'm just a bond servant that stops and says, Lord, how can I serve you today? And I need to push all of my wants and desires off to the side, deny to that, and say, Lord, I just want to focus on you. There's a phrase that we like to use. You've heard me talk about this before. It's called the crux of the matter. The crux of the matter. What is the crux of the matter? It's the most important thing. That phrase is fascinating because the word crux, C-R-U-X, in Latin, literally means cross. So when you say the crux of the matter, you're really saying the cross of the matter because the cross is the most important thing. The cross is the key. Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, as believers, the cross is the power of God in your life. To non-believers, it's foolishness. Have you not noticed that? 
when you go to work, when you go to school, even maybe at home if you live with some people that really aren't serious about the Lord or non-believers, the cross is the most important thing to you. Your conversation, your mindset is always about Jesus. But yet, you hear them talking, it's just world. It's just world. Only when they're talking about what item they want to get, what item they just got, or what their future plans are, or this or that, such matters that just don't even matter. Now, I'm not saying you force the conversation to all Jesus all the time. No, but I'm saying it becomes such a part of our life that you just think about the ministry. You think about everything through the eyes of the cross because you say, you know what? The one conversation that Moses, Elijah, and Jesus wanted to have was about the cross. Paul says that's why we live. That's the power of God is the cross. So therefore, when I'm going places, Lord, why not focus on the worship music? Why not focus on, Lord, is there a ministry opportunity here? Why not just constantly be in prayer for people as you see them? Because when you start looking at everything through the lens of eternity, it changes how you look at this world. Think about the last thing that bothered you. The last thing that got you riled up. And the whole scheme of heaven and hell didn't matter. I'm willing to bet probably not. The last argument you had with your spouse. Were you debating grace versus mercy and sanctification? Probably not. It's probably some earthly thing that did not matter. The last little fight you had with your kids, or the last time you got bothered at a co-worker, or the last time you were in public and somebody did something that really bothered you, so much of it does not matter in the whole scheme of heaven and hell. Keep the cross first. Make that the crux of the matter. And that is what we focus on. What other details? Now that we know the focus is the cross, Let's start talking about some of these details. Why is it Peter, James, and John that get to go? Those three always get to go to the stuff. Now, you've heard me joke about this before. There's two ways to look at this. The number one way is the spiritual way. Peter, James, and John were very important in the early church. Peter, as we've already talked about, the Lord used him greatly to represent the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Jews. Peter was one of the foundational members, if you will, of the importance of the church. James is the first martyr, so he had an important role, and John is one that lived the longest. John wrote the gospel. John, first John, second John, third John, book of Revelation. These three guys had a lot, and so the Lord's like saying, listen, you're my inner core. I need you guys with me on these things. But we also joke like this a lot. Peter, James, and John may have been the ordinary ones. And Jesus said, i got to keep you guys close. It's kind of like when Don and I go and do something, we would say, who's got tires? Tires, you stay with me, buddy. I want you with me all the time. It's not because I love you. It's because I want you in trouble. Peter, James, and John, you guys stay with me. You stay with me. So here they are. They get to see this special thing up on the mountain by themselves. They get to see him transfigured. And what does he look like? His face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as the light. I was looking at the word white in the Bible. There's a lot of white in store for you in eternity. If you not, do not like to wear white, you need to start mentally changing that mindset. For all of eternity, you are wearing white. I hate wearing white. When I wear white, you will see what I eat on this. I could stain a white shirt with a glass of water. It's just that bad. White represents clean. It represents spotless. It represents just this perfection of purity. And that's why we get to wear it for all of eternity. It's because Jesus has cleansed us. We're made completely spotless in Him. We're made pure in Him, grace and mercy. So that's why there's a lot of white in heaven. In fact, if you want to do a deeper study, just check out the book of Revelation. There's sometimes the word white is mentioned in the book of Revelation alone. As you look into eternity, 
white is all over the place. So he's shining like the sun. His clothes become as white as the light. There's this fascinating picture of God's glory. What other details do we see here? Well, we see Moses and Elijah. Oh, there's a lot here. Moses lived 1,400 years before this event happened. 1,400 years. Elijah was around 900 years before this event happened. So here we have Moses and Elijah that show up 1,400 years after Moses died, 900 years after Elijah was taken into heaven, and here they are. Now, I think that shows a lot right there. What does that show? It shows eternity. We will live on forever. So even though it's been 1,400 years since Moses died, guess what? Moses is still there. He's still around. We're an eternal being. What else do we see? Peter recognized them. See, look at here. Peter recognized them. Verse 4. Let us make your three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, how could Peter recognize them? 1,400 years earlier, Moses lived. 900 years before Elijah was taken to heaven, he lived. Peter never met them. There's no pictures of them. So I think this gives you a tiny little glimpse into eternity. And what do we know in eternity? We're going to know each other. 1 Corinthians 13 makes this clear. You will know as you are now known. People come up to me a lot and say something like, okay, when I die, with the heaven, will I recognize this person? I recognize this person. Yeah, the Bible makes that clear. You will be known as you are now known. When we get to heaven, we'll see each other. We'll recognize each other. We'll know each other. Just like we'll know a Peter, and we'll know an Elijah, and we'll know a Moses. What a beautiful idea that is, the eternity of living. A lot of people wonder what heaven's going to be like. Sounds kind of boring, right? I don't know. I'd kind of like to have a conversation with Jesus like Moses and Elijah did. I'd like to talk to Moses. I'd like to talk to Elijah. Can you imagine that eternity of heaven, of just being able to go with these Old Testament saints, these New Testament saints, the saints that lived before us, and be able to converse with them, talk to them. And it's not this awkwardness of, hello, my name is James. No, I know you because there's a spiritual connection to what Jesus Christ did, and there's a oneness. Oh, man. What an exciting thought that is, is to go see Moses, see Elijah, to know each other. It gives you a glimpse into eternity and the blessing of that will be. We're all wearing white, we all know each other. What else do we see? Why is Moses and Elijah the ones chosen? They represent the law and the prophets. Elijah was arguably the greatest prophet. That uh, Israel had Moses, obviously, was the giver of the law there. In fact, there's four references in Matthew alone where Jesus talks about the law and prophets that point people towards Jesus. Paul talked in Romans 3 that the prophets and law are a promise of the grace of Jesus. Now, if you struggle with the Old Testament and you start reading Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, you're like, I get nothing out of this. Look for Jesus in there. When you start looking for Jesus in the Old Testament, all of a sudden the Old Testament becomes a lie. Because Jesus said, the whole book is written about me. Jesus said, the law and the prophets are all about me. Everything is just a build-up to Christ. And that's why you see with Moses and Elijah, the law and the prophets being represented, that represent towards Jesus. And what a beautiful picture that is. All these little details of what eternity would be like. Moses and Elijah, the transfiguration, wearing white, talking here for eternity. Oh, what a wonderful thing. What a beautiful picture this is. So Peter decides to talk. Peter. Peter's one of those guys that sometimes he just learns not to say as much as he's thinking. One of my boys, very funny, very, very funny. I don't know where he got this from, but one dawn, 
He doesn't know when to stop the joke. I always tell him, just say half of what you're thinking, buddy. This is going to do a lot better in life if you say half of what you're thinking. Peter's one of those guys who want to go up to him and say, Peter, just say half of what you're thinking. Peter doesn't know what to say. So in verse 4, he's got this great idea. Lord, it's good for us to be here if you wish. Let us make here three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. Now, why was Peter talking? Well, according to the account in Luke chapter 9, Peter didn't know what to say, so Peter just started talking. Do you know somebody like that? They just become nervous, they don't know what to say, so they just start talking. Maybe you're that person. Just remember a couple quick verses. Ecclesiastes 5, I love this verse. God is in heaven, you are on earth, keep your words to you. Pretty straightforward passage. James chapter 2. Swift to listen, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Not everybody needs to know our opinions, not everybody needs to know our faults. Peter didn't know what to say, so he just starts talking. His talking is such a problem that verse 5, while he was still speaking, God the Father has to interrupt him. Now, is that not pretty impressive to be interrupted by God the Father? God the Father has to interrupt Peter. This is my beloved son, in whom I am well pleased to hear him. What did Peter say that was so wrong? Peter was making an equality of Moses, Elijah, and Jesus. Let's make three booths, three tabernacles, three memorials, three altars, depending on their translation. Peter was equating Jesus, Moses, and Elijah, putting them all together. And God's father said, Peter, you're, you're not getting this. Verse 5, this is my son. Hear him. Hear him. The longer I walk with the Lord, the more I realize it's supposed to all be about Jesus and all we do and say. You hear us say this a lot. It's not about a man. It's not about a ministry. It's not about a church. It's about representing Jesus Christ. When you get that mindset and you deny yourself, die to yourself, die to any expectations you have of life, and say, Lord, it's really just about representing you in every conversation I have. And, just, and it may not even bring up the Lord, but it's just representing you in the way I live and the way I act. So it's all be about Christ. Hear him. And then to kind of make this emphasis, verse 8, when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. Oh, I love that. Jesus only. That's all that matters. Hear him. Keep your eyes on Christ. And it all comes together. If we would just learn that idea of denying ourselves, dying to ourselves, making the cross the crux of the matter, and all we do is say, Jesus only, eyes on him, only listening to him. Can you imagine what life would be like? Not allowing the expectations of the world to have any power or influence us on us in any way whatsoever. Do you realize how difficult that would be? Well, that's where we need to go to our last point here. You go up in Romans 12. Romans 12. Just as Jesus was completely, utterly transfigured, transformed, that word literally means metamorphosized, like the caterpillar into the butterfly. Same thing as Astros. Look here at Romans 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is a reasonable service, and not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That word transformed is the same word where it says Jesus was transfigured. That word is only used four times in the New Testament, twice in the Gospels to account for Jesus, and the other two times in the Epistles to say, guys, this is the same change you're supposed to have. But be transformed, transfigured, metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
That word transfigured literally in the Greek is metamorphosized. I got a slide I want to show you guys here. You guys don't mind putting that up. Just to kind of see this. Now you know this. Caterpillar or butterfly, right? That, that's exactly what we're saying. This is metamorphosis. The caterpillar, chrysalis, butterfly. Now the problem is this. You're so used to this. You've learned this since grade school science. Caterpillars and butterflies. And so this exciting thing that happens in nature that is completely crazy and mind-blowing carries no weight with us anymore because we're so used to it. But just as Jesus was completely, utterly changed from just, dare I use the word, normal, typical man to glory of God revealed, shining white, glowing, etc., you would see that and say, that person's not the same. But Paul's telling us, as you guys need to have this change in your life, too, that you're not the same. We've gotten used to it. Never let Jesus become normal to you. Never let Jesus become the thing to you. Now, we start something this time of year that we go out and do what we call caterpillar hunts. And we go out and we walk the road, checking every milk we plant, and we collect all the caterpillars that we find. Last year, we hatched out about 40 uh, caterpillars and butterflies. We love it. And the boys just watch it, they change, and we just watch them cook crystallize, and they go into butterflies, and we take them outside, we let them go, we've done this for years. And so starting now, we just go into these caterpillar hunts every day, just collect, and we collect any caterpillar we find, what do you think it's going to change into, we look it up. So, it's pretty exciting. But what's neat, though, is when one of the younger boys has never seen it. I remember a couple years ago, later, he was a little bit younger, we brought the caterpillars in, they go into the J-shape, watch them crystallize, and then you watch them become a butterfly. Dad, where'd the caterpillar go? Became a butterfly. They believe me. Because when you think about that for the first time, it doesn't make sense. Like I said, if I put this up here, nobody here this morning is saying, I never knew caterpillars became butterflies. You know it. The most amazing change that happens in nature. That's no big deal. I'm used to it. But Jesus is saying this amazing change is what's supposed to happen in your life. That when people see the old you compared to the new you, it is such a complete opposite utter change that they can't even compare it anymore. It's just not even comparable. If you would go up to somebody who's never heard this and you show them butterfly, caterpillar, hey, guess what? It's the same creature. No, it's not. Yeah, it is. No, it's not. Your new life is supposed to be a complete, utter change that when they compare to the old life, people say, that's not you anymore. That when you go into work, when you see relatives, or people you went to school with, what have you, and they see how you have changed, they say, that can't be the same person. You have so completely transfigured, transformed, metamorphosized through what Jesus Christ has done that I just can't even believe it. I remember years ago, there was a guy that popped out here at the church and was visiting on a Sunday. And one of the other guys that had been coming for years came up to me tapping the shoulder and said, Do you know him? I said, No, I've never been before. He goes, he goes, him being here, I said, that's a big deal. So I went and got to know this guy and his testimony, and I realized what this other guy was saying. And this guy to show up to church and become a Christian, that's a pretty big deal. Caterpillar, butterfly. Now we've been used to it. We've been worshiping about here maybe for years together, and we've heard your testimony. We forget how ugly of a caterpillar. We see you beautiful butterflies right now. Some of you were ugly. God changed you. Jesus did that in your life. Never let what Jesus does become normal. Never let it become mundane. The Lord is saying, I've called you out of this world. And listen to what this really means, people. He wants to transform you, your marriage, your 
kids, your home life. I'm not saying that we're all called to go look like John the Baptist and eat locust, carbon, and honey, and live out in the wilderness. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying is that we should be able to look at God-fearing, Christ-loving, born-again-on-fire families, and they should look different than the world. They should talk different. Their entertainment choices should be different. The way they live, act, dress would probably be different. That's not some type of legalism. That's not some type of judgment. It's saying we have been called to be transformed in how we live and act, etc. And if we as believers that are supposed to be completely different, the Bible calls us a peculiar people. If we act like the world, talk like the world, live like the world, what exactly have we been changed from? I'm not, once again, asking you to go out there and purposely be weird or strange. What I'm saying is, if you choose to live a God-fearing, Christ-loving life, you will be weird and strange to the world. It's just a fact. The way you act at work, the way you respond at work, it will be different. And what happens is this. People will see the metamorphosis. They'll see the change. You'll be planting seeds in how you live and how you act. Because you will be a different person in Christ Jesus. And guess what I want to say is this. Let's go back to Romans 12 here. Let's just look at these verses real quick. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That's the denying and dying to yourself, a living sacrifice. I willfully choose to die for the Lord. Holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. One translation is that's your rational service. Guys, this just makes sense. Jesus did all this for us. The most logical, rational thing I can do is do this for him. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like the world. But be transformed, metamorphosized, transfigured by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't go out there and try to be different. If you just live for Jesus, you will be different. And it's going to be awkward. I don't know how many times I tell the kids something to this effect. Yes, other people get to do that. No, don't get to do that. We're different. We're weird. We're peculiar. I get it. I understand it. It's just life. Because we're not living for this here right now. We're living for eternity. We're trying to keep our eyes focused on the cross, and Christ, and eternity. It's not about surviving. It's not about playing the game according to the rules of the world. It's about saying, I'm a born-again believer that has not been separated from this world. I happen to be here for a moment, a season. I just want to live for Jesus Christ and all I can say. Yes, Christ said, occupy till I come. Go out there, get a job, pay your bills, do what the Lord has called you to do. But while you're doing that, realize you are a missionary and all you do and all that you say, and you're representing Christ and all you do and all you say. Jesus said, I've given you the transfiguration to give you a glimpse, a sample of what is really expected of you, and what is asked of us, and what the reward is when we've done. Oh man. When you look at it through eternity, it's different. Worship team, come forward. Let's pray this into our lives. Lord, we want this. We want to be changed.